Welcome to the Paru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose podcast. This podcast showcases inspiring appraisers and professionals from the industry who are leaders in their field. How did they get to where they are? What have they learned along the way? And what do they do now for their teams, their clients, and the industry? Your host is real estate investor, entrepreneur, and appraiser, Michael Hobbs. Well, hello. I hope everyone's doing well. We're excited today uh, for you to be joining us uh, once again here at Perusing's The Power of Values, where we have a a phenomenal opportunity to connect with a peer who has such an interesting uh, backstory about how she has uh, gotten to her current role and what a phenomenal company that she does work for. And I'm sure she'll share more about that as well. I won't steal any of the thunder, but we are so excited to have Stacey with us today. And we uh, have so much to be able to learn from. So Stacy, I'd love to say thank you before we even start and really look forward to today's conversation. Welcome. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to be here and to talk about my my journey through this industry. It should be a fun one to talk about. I agree and I believe it will be. So with that, Stacy, our opening question. So were you born this way or how did you get into this profession? I love it. As much as I would like to say that I was born this way because I live and breathe this industry so much, I think this profession chose me in a sense. And, you know, in all honesty, I had really wanted to do something completely different when I went off to college. So, um, What did you want to do when you went off to college? I wanted to be an English teacher. I wanted to be like a high school English teacher teacher. So, you know, I was not into the numbers when I was younger, which is crazy to me. And I always joke with my kids and say, hey, you know, you don't have to like numbers now, but someday your entire profession (laughs) may be based (laughs) on numbers. But yeah, I I wanted to go the path of being a high school English teacher. And and ultimately, this industry chose me and I love it. That's phenomenal. So, you, you, so I heard you say you went off to school. When you finished, did you go into the teaching profession for a while or did you take some employment just right at the end or what, what came first? I, right out of college, took a job with American Appraisal Associates. And it was the first job to come up when I graduated. I had ended up pivoting away from the teaching kind of mid-junior year of college, transitioned more towards, uh, you know, being in the communication space and and so out of college, I chose this profession, you know, kind of went into the first job that came up, lots yes. travel advertised. I was like, great, I'm young, I'm ready to hit the road. <laughs> um, and really, that just jumped me off into where I am now. It, it became the starting point. That's amazing. So was there like a recruitment uh, process? Like, like that's how you like you met some people maybe on campus or... You know, because a lot of people out of school don't connect into the profession. So it's fascinating. How did that happen for you? No. So I had just been searching job boards, looking for something that would be a good fit for myself, you know, dealing with a lot of people, um, yes. a lot in the communication space, a little bit of travel didn't scare me at the time. I had, you know, responded to a job posting about evaluation consultants and I applied oh, okay. for the job, went in and interviewed. It sounded right up, you know, the alley of, fresh out of college, learning about new things and experiences. And and really that just moved into me getting that role there and spending a few years doing that. And what, as a role coming out of college, uh, it sounds like if you were planning to get an English major, is that the case? So you didn't come in with like finance and economics? Like what's the role like coming in as a valuation consultant and with the firm that you started with? 
Yeah, that's a great question because, you know, I had a communication degree at that point when I graduated from college. So starting out there at American Appraisal, it was really full training right on. And, you know, I I know that we kind of have talked about this in the past, but, you know, the, the thing with the inspectors and now that we're doing all of this bifurcated, that's truly what I was doing. You know, oh, really? going market to market across the country and Inspecting commercial properties, coming back, compiling numbers, and really being trained on site in building what I started out doing. So I really firmly believe that you can really kind of hit the ground and and learn uh, by being applicable. Wow. So that's phenomenal that because uh, you're quite young. So that was only just a few years ago when uh, you were doing that. Of course, it was might only been like four or five years ago. I'm not really sure. I'm not counting, of course. Hey, I if I was, I don't need like two hands to get there. So you get brought in, you get some training, and then you go, as I think I heard you say, on the road. And you're going and seeing commercial properties, uh, what, around the, like a region, the country, the world? Country. Um, I say I did 33 states in three years. We wow, that's more than most people have seen in their lifetime. Oh yeah, we were. I say we were in the turn and burn. We were on the road about ninety-five percent of the time, different states every week, um, all different commercial properties, and it really made me fall in love with this industry. I mean, one day I'd be walking a wastewater treatment plant, and the next day I'd be in a historical property in a small town in the mountains somewhere. So it it really varied on what I had to you know go through and experience and. I really did enjoy seeing everything from that perspective. So here you are. What I'm taking away from that is you're brand new into the profession. You're getting significant exposure across many different types of assets. Uh, and it sounds like you had an amazing uh, bank of frequent flyer miles and probably big time status if you were traveling oh, 33 sure. states in three years. <laughs> I flew more first class then than I have ever since. I can't seem to build up that mileage ever again. But yeah, it was... It was great. I mean, it was the perfect lesson, I say, for myself, not just in this industry, but in people. Yeah. And it really gave me that ability to, you know, one day I'd be meeting with somebody who is the VP of a hospital system. And then the next day I'm riding around with the director of public relations for a city municipality. And you're kind of just creating these differing relationships every single day to get your job done. And it gave me that lesson in how to really just speak with people and understand their needs and, and what they're truly kind of looking for and, and how I can help them. That's phenomenal. You know, that to get that exposure, you know, of course you personally had an interest, as you said, you know, in that path of being an English teacher and you were, you know, as you said, uh, young and ready to travel, but also the desire to communicate but take, you know, having an interest in learning how to speak to different people and understanding their needs right. and seeing how um, the work that you were doing uh, along with the with your firm there, American Appraisal, could actually meet those needs. I mean, that's, gosh, I wish everyone would have that opportunity. Uh, I know that's uncommon and atypical. So it's great. And you're getting that right at the start of your like right. seven or eight year career because, you know, because you're youthfulness, of course. Yeah. Well, Joe, from from that standpoint, um, you continue to travel. Were you still in the same role or did your responsibilities expand over the time you were at the firm? My responsibilities did expand as I was there. I took on a lot more of the training for new hires that would come in, oh, similar okay. positions that I came in at, you know, travel with new hires, 
teach them how to, you know, measure a building, take the right angles of photographs, what to photograph. It was a, a really fast lesson in Marshall and Swift at the time also, because that was a lot of the wow. basis of insurance. Yes. Um, you yes. Know, valuation. So, you know, really being able to learn how to do that, how to do AutoCAD. It was a really, really great what I say blessing for my start because it gave me some experiences that I think some appraisers never really get from the get-go. So, uh, you know, I started training others. I started taking on larger assignments, started taking on some, you know, major structures across the country, um, a lot of risk pool insurance. So taking on, you know, almost a billion dollar book of business in, in different states, it's things like that, that I think that really expanded my, my knowledge base, just not of, you know, differing valuation, but you know, how to handle differing states and from a perspective of one thing that might be common in, let's say, Colorado is not common here where I am in Wisconsin. So it really changed my perspective on how I view things from even a review aspect as I kind of continue going forward. And did you stay there for your whole career or did new opportunities arise? I did not obviously stay there my whole career. Um, I, yeah, so I spent about three and a half years there. Um, it was great. I can't say it was all great. I mean, obviously you go through some mistakes when you're on the road that the stories that I So still, I mean, Stacey, story, what is one of those stories that like, <laughs> only you can tell? Because as I appreciate, and, and I, I do travel a significant amount, um, but I'm also traveling at this age in my life. I, I did actually travel a decent bit when I was younger because I used to work for a manufacturing company and, and traveled around uh, the world, actually, um, doing a lot of their research and development. But that's such an unusual thing. And you bring a whole different perspective than even I did. Um, what was it like for you being young? And I don't, did you have that issue where you couldn't rent a car because you weren't 25? Did you have that problem? That was the <laughs> craziest point, thing. Yes. At one point, yes. Um, I did have that experience. You know, the experience when you get off the plane and you have to not only pick up your car, but then you have to go separate and pick up your GPS system from the desk because <laughs> I was alone. You know, I was on the road and I'd be driving pretty much everywhere by myself. So a lot of navigation issues, a lot of time mm-hmm. spent in, in the mountains and spent on, on different coasts. But, you know, you the stories that I could tell, I, I was mainly by myself quite a bit. So I, I always like to say that I... I've experienced small town kind of vibes. I've been, you know, invited to lunch at the fire station. I've been, you know, taken out to dinner by the guys that work in public public works because they're like, hey, you're coming to have dinner with us. Um, but I've also been, you know, held at gunpoint. And I've also had things that, you know, absolutely. Yeah. We don't get to talk about that near enough. The, the extraordinary benefits well, what you've been experiencing, like this is extra compensation, psychic income, of course, uh, right, maybe right. detrimental. Yeah. Um, I'm sorry to hear that you've dealt with that as well. Oh, no. I mean, it's, you know, it's a lot of times just people being protective of their property and that I can understand. And so just, you know, needing to show your credentials and you yeah. keep moving and everybody's good. But, you know, after three and a half years, you kind of get a little burnt out. And so it was really time for me to kind of start moving on and focusing on where else I could fit in this industry and what kind of impact I could have from more of a, a larger perspective. And so, you know, I moved on from there and really started going into that really went into the age of, you know, the 2008-2010 era where our industry just completely changed. So that, yes. you know, pivoted my trajectory. 
Wow. And so what type of role did you take on when you left uh, American? I went on to do Fannie repurchases. So that was obviously really big after, you know, the 2008 shift. So doing a lot of review work on repurchases, a lot of, um, I also did a lot of larger portfolio quality control during that time, a lot of consulting. And so that was really great for me to get more into the, you know, jumbo loan process, more of the residential starting there. So it was really exciting for me. You know, sometimes I'd be, you know, doing a repurchase on a a home in my own state. And then, you know, that gave me that visibility of starting to look at, you know, nationwide properties and see those trends that are happening all over. Yeah, that, that really does. And some people, because we this uh, podcast is fascinating. We get we get feedback from people literally uh, across the U.S. and even from valuation professionals around the world. They may not know what a Fannie Mae repurchase is. What what is that, Stacy? Yeah. So at the time, you know, in two thousand eight, when there was a shift in the market and there were a lot of issues with the way that the appraisal industry was being conducted, and that's obviously since been been worked on and continues to be worked on. But at the time, there were a lot of appraisals that were out there that were not necessarily structured towards the properties themselves. And there were maybe under or over valuation flags kind of happening at the time. A lot of people in our country were experiencing foreclosure and a lot of differing, you know, distressed sales happening where Danny May had to go back and they had to start really looking at their portfolios and saying, you know, were these appraisals valid at the time? Do you know, is there anything that can be corrected or really moving forward with the foreclosure? So um, it was in kind of my wheelhouse to kind of break apart those appraisals from past years and say where, you know, at the time the appraiser may have gone awry or if the appraiser was justified. Um, it's a hard, you know, thing to do at the time because I think for myself, I, I can't speak for every appraiser, but no appraiser likes to criticize another appraiser. <laughs> no. Not uh, well. so and, we're not, and we're not criticizing the appraiser. I mean, right. anyone who's taking any of the review courses knows we are asked to um, read, uh, maybe review, maybe even render an opinion on the work product, not the person. Because some days right. you have good days and bad days. I mean, I, I imagine that you probably have all great days, but I do have some bad days. Oh, I like and- that's not the best day for me to be uh, determining value. I mean, it's not terrible, but it's just not as great as the great days. So that's a great, uh, great point out. I, thanks for sharing that, Stacey. Yeah, it definitely is an interesting thing to look back on now as we've changed this industry so much to make sure that there aren't the same, you know, loopholes that have happened prior. But again, you're right. We weren't, we're not criticizing the appraiser. We were at that time looking at the processes that were in place and understanding if those appraisals were solid enough for, you know, Fannie and Freddie at the time to stand on, or if they needed to kind of take that responsibility and repurchase those homes back and, and put them in the foreclosure. So it was a big responsibility to be under, but it taught me a lot about how this industry functions beneath kind of the direct assignment level. Yes. For people that may not have had the opportunity, and most haven't, um, to work uh, directly with or for Fannie Mae, how did you find the, how did you find the position? Um, so I worked for a firm that consulted with, um, which was great. So I had a, a little bit of a differing kind of portfolio business. I was not just working with Fannie Mae, but I was also working with different lenders through that company. But the direct relationship there I thought was great. Um, any communication that I had with them, 
I think there is sometimes a misconception that you can not get as much responsiveness directly from from those kinds of relationships. But actually, um, you know, there's a lot of guidance there. And there there was a lot of really instructional ways to kind of navigate how we were doing those reviews back then. And, and I thought it was a really positive introduction to the GSEs for me, because that was truly, I had come from kind of the, the valuation and in, in the insurance and then moving into like the GSE aspect, it was like, okay, this is, this is different. So I, I found it to be really enlightening. I, uh, I can only imagine. Now, did you get to continue your frequent flyer status? Um, and, and did you relocate down to uh, the DFW area in the process? Or did you stay up north? I stayed up north. I'm a Scotty. I, I am. Oh, you did not have to cross the Mason-Dixon line I for employment. Not. That's impressive. I, no, I am Wisconsin tried and true. Um, no, we were contracted here. So I actually worked for a company that was in what is now my hometown. Um, they've since relocated to be out of a different state. But um, at the time, it was great. I was being able to do national work, but stay here, uh, you know, in Wisconsin and enjoy my Wisconsin lifestyle. So I just, uh, maybe I'm reading between the lines. Uh, Were you getting a chance to work remote back then? Um, No. So they were just contracting. I wish, but (laughs) (laughs) Um, they were just contracting. So all of the assignments would come into a larger database. So we had a company here. We had an office space, um, pretty decent sized staff of, you know, quality control and underwriting. And really, we just went in there every day and we would communicate back and forth. We'd have meetings with them. It was really rapid. I would say it was a very rapid pace. I mean, at that time, it was such in a kind of a, a panic mode almost, I would say. Yes. Um, so it was a rapid pace, but I thrive on chaos. So I felt great. <laughs> You're good with changing landscapes as well. I um, that's, a, that's a good way to put it. I'm going to take that one from you too. <laughs> You're more than welcome to. You're more than welcome to. So in, in that capacity, um, one of the interesting things, because many people, myself included, you get started with um, maybe a, unlike you, in, in a local market, in a neighborhood, maybe e- even in a city. But in this case, you were fortunate enough to start literally around the country. And then now um, through another opportunity, you're working with Fannie Mae repurchase agreements and you're literally working also around the country. How does someone um, develop some ability to actually take on that kind of work as opposed to not just being in Wisconsin? Yeah, because a- most people have no perspective. They're like, well, I'm I'm a, you know, pick, I'm a Wisconsin licensed professional. It's like, yeah, but you're a professional. You just happen to be in the state of Wisconsin. Right. And I think that that's been one of the great positives for me is that I haven't let location ever limit me from this industry. And I know that that can be a huge challenge for appraisers across the country because, you know, we know where the majority of this industry is based and they're typically going to be in the Florida Texas, you know, we're, we're looking at these major markets. And so what you have to look for are positions that are a willing to be remote and, you know, B if you're in the position to to navigate a change in state, that's, that's one thing, but there are so many available positions for, for work where you can be where you're located and still grow with this industry for sure. Um, I would say I'm I'm pretty much living proof of it that I've never had to step outside of Wisconsin outside of vacation, and uh, and yet I work for a company that's based out of Florida. 
<laughs> oh, I love that. I absolutely love that. How how did you build up? I mean, obviously you had a lot of experience. You mentioned AutoCAD, you mentioned Marshall Swift, great resources that a lot of people in the industry uh, uh, do not always have exposure to, if any at all. And that was, you know, starting out in the insurance space. And here you are in the um, government lending space, if you will, there's a you know, secondary yeah. uh, market participant. How was it that you um, developed your uh, comfort level and ability to uh, contribute in terms of analyzing all these repurchase agreements? So essentially, as you talked about, there's a foreclosure action. There's generally a loss at that point, uh, as there were right. significant losses at that time frame. And uh, there's an analysis to say, hey, what can we learn from this so that we don't repeat the errors? And um, hey, do we want to make sure there wasn't fraud? Like right. that was another component of these. So um, what was what was your role? And then how did you really continue to develop your uh, ability? Yeah, that to me, I would have to attribute when I started there, I had a really great mentor. My supervisor there, uh, longstanding appraiser in the industry, he still is. Um, he's since moved on and is a chief appraiser at another company. Um, he really kind of set me up for success in that aspect because knowing that I was coming over from that insurance and he had actually worked for the same company prior years before I had. So oh. he knew what I was coming in from. But it really became this ability for me to shadow someone who has so much longstanding history in this yes. industry and understood the ins and outs of the GSEs and walk me through kind of not just how do you sit down and do this review, but what is behind it? What, what are we doing and what is the purpose behind what we're doing? And that really enhanced my role in this industry is not just the, the face value of going to the inspection, not just the face value of doing a, a review on a repurchase, but understanding the nuances the valuation and and what's backing everything that that was really the first part for me it's having a really great mentor at that point and secondary to that we had a ton of licensed certified residential appraisers on oh. our team that just helped me expand my knowledge base and i went from you know traveling the country to all of a sudden reviewing you know uh $40 million property in the Hamptons. And it was like, <laughs> I have to lean on. <laughs> I you mean, you just don't do that every single day. Just like, it's just yeah. normal, right? Somebody yeah, just, totally of course, normal. does it. But I mean, you have to lean on your peers and you have to lean on industry pros to me. I mean, I would not be where I am without really opening up the lines of communication with people that I've worked with and learning what they know. I mean, it's this whole business is absorption. You're absorbing the knowledge base from everybody else, and it just pays off. The more you know, it just continues. It just will grow with you. That's uh, such a wonderful perspective. I, I couldn't, I, I could not resonate more with what you're sharing. And I hear the value of being in a team setting. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, how do you absorb knowledge if right. you're not with other people? I mean, don't get me wrong. Thankfully, the power of the internet helps break down a lot of those barriers. Absolutely. But like you said, you, one, had a, a great mentor and then you got to work with talented people. Right. And you're, you, I, you didn't use the word, but what I have this image of is being a sponge. You're like, you're soaking it in. and But like a sponge, you're soaking it in and you're putting it back out. You're not just holding on to it. Yeah, for sure. I think that that's part of it is that as you kind of move around and you pick up one thing from this company and one thing from this company and Maybe it's a couple things from different companies, but 
as you move forward, you don't leave that stuff behind. You're really, like you said, you're becoming a sponge and you're really gathering all of that information and you're really becoming more of um, an industry kind of guide yourself as you start to learn. And for me, I've always come from a perspective that if I don't know something, you better believe the next time you talk to me, I'm going (laughs) to. So <laughs> that, that's just the way it is because, you know, you don't always have to be the smartest in the room, but, you know, when you get off of that call or you get out of that meeting, you know, it's really about, are you going to go out and find out and do the research and educate yourself or take the class or talk to one of your peers and figure it out um, or not? And really that's been my goal is, that, you know, the next time I sit in a room with somebody, if that same topic comes up, I'm going to have an opinion. Um, yes. because that's who I am. <laughs> hey, that's fantastic. It's great to, it, it, what I continue to hear you share kind of, uh, what listening past the words you're sharing is that you, um, either were very fortunate or very intentional or both to identify positions that really aligned with who you are and your natural strengths. Right. Right. That's totally true for me. I think that there have been instances where I've spent maybe a year somewhere and it was just enough for me to understand that that perspective of the industry was enough for me to take on and move move forward. That it maybe wasn't the right position, but I learned something from that position. And I use CoreLogic as an example for this for me. I, I worked there for about a year before COVID and I was basically creating the brown book. You know, you're running the numbers, you're doing the Marshall and Swift product line. And I think that for me, it became very technical, but, and I knew that my, my longstanding trajectory is that I'm an appraiser and I didn't really want to be in the tech space, but learning that Brown book from inside and out was one of the most valuable experiences for me because now I turn around and I can look at that cost approach and I can look at all this data and say, I know exactly where it's coming from and I can I can teach and train and have valid conversations about these methods. I love the reference. Um, for those, because we're not in a visual format, um, they may not know when you say the brown book, they're like, yeah. brown book? Well, the Fed is a beige <laughs> book. What brown book are you talking about? Could, could you give some description to that uh, that significant presence of the brown right. book that you're referring to? So the ground book is the entire, well, I guess I would say the entire Marshall and Swift commercial book. They also have the residential cost handbook, which I was also doing at the same time. So these, we call it the brown book because I guess I date myself and I put put myself back that that's always what, what my peers have called it since I worked in the movie. It is? Because it is gigantic. It's just gigantic. <laughs> it is hundreds and hundreds of pages and it really outlines costs for any type of structure that you could possibly need to know about and then again with the residential cost handbook it's any type of you know residential structure is in there so but yes i I forget that we're not on a on screen and (laughs) it is a very large probably one foot by maybe it's one and a half foot by one one and a half foot yeah hundreds and hundreds of pages of numerical I, I was tr- I was trying to think of uh, so yes um, that, the cover I don't know if it's actually leather or like a vinyl but it's brown yeah, it's and then all the pages are white and then when they went to high performance they added green pages like the sustainable yeah. high performance energy efficiency stuff and they have I think there's some yellow pages in there too there's <laughs> like orange 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 is that what it is yeah, yeah there's some like color pages in there trending numbers yeah 
And it is uh, an amazing resource. It literally is a body of knowledge in a book. I um, mean, I know they make it online, uh, available online, but I, I personally still like the the physical copy of it because like you can, it's easier to flip through and compare yeah. pages. But anyway, aside from that, what you're touching on though, is here's a resource that the vast majority of people in the profession have never been exposed to. And even if you take as part of your education to be a professional, you take a cost class, whether in the States you go the commercial, you go the CG approach, you go the CR approach, but there's never actually like the development of and using a cost manual. Right. And, you know, that's the foundation of insurance work and, and the cost approach. So it's here you are once again, getting such great exposure to uh, one of the three approaches to value that's probably for most the weakest. Right. I agree. And I think that that's exactly what it's like for me now is that I had basically an intensive year immersed in the cost approach. <laughs> so, Look at you. People are like, I can't wait to have that response. I can't <laughs> wait to dig into the cost approach for a year. Um, I know everybody's so jealous right now. But I can feel it. it. Can feel it. It, it has helped me just move forward. And, you know, I always say that when I talk to the appraisers that are on our panel or I talk to my peers, I want to be able to contribute and I want to help. So when they come to me with these questions about how to do certain things or about resources, that's where my knowledge base is coming from. You know, I'm, yes. I, I didn't just take the class. I, I dove directly into the Brown book and <laughs> slam in it for a year. <laughs> Amazing. So kind of tying this together, here you are, you get an, uh, an experience that not everyone got to be involved in, which is on the uh, analysis and the Fannie Mae repurchase activity. Um, it sounds like at some point you actually left Fannie Mae. So did you stay through kind of the, uh, not only, it sounds like you were definitely there for the peak. I, I heard the energy there. In the, mm-hmm. There was so much going on. Right. Uh, same right. Did you stay for some period of time and how did that kind of come to an end and what came next? Yeah, I think that the transitional nature of our industry kind of guided me away from the repurchase because at some point that really started to, you know, dwindle down. We started to recorrect and just like the industry as it is now and as it will always be, it just goes up and down. Um, so at that time I moved on, I had gone to work for us bank for red sky risk services, doing a lot of their senior level review, um, from there, you know, I, again, I went to CoreLogic for a little bit. So it, it just is a nature of kind of, I have the ability that I, I like to bounce around and gather knowledge, which I think we kind of determine. Um, and, and I like to go where I'm valuable. So, you know, if I can contribute to another team, I've had teams reach out to me and ask me to come on board. I've also just left on my own choice, you know, knowing that it was the end of my path. So, um, you know, I think that happened a little bit with moving on from the repurchase and just choosing that, okay, this is, this needs to go somewhere else at this point and I need to use this to gain more knowledge and keep going. Oh, I can definitely appreciate that. So you step out of uh, the government side of things and you step into direct lending. I mean, you're at U.S. Bank, right. uh, large lender here in the United States. Uh, right. What's that role like? That was great. I mean, that to me, again, pivoting from one side of the business to the next, that seems to be my my, my path here. But um, really seeing this is where I really learned how to gauge service level agreements. You know, we're looking at 
timing. This is where the turn time started to come into play. This is where I learned about the industry of what the purpose was behind every single appraisal. You know, this is where I think at U.S. Bank, my passion for not just valuation, but for helping people being, you know, part of the process that gets someone into a new home. Because this is where it was really stressed. I mean, we're not just looking at, oh, we'll get it to you in 14 days. If somebody is relying on that appraiser to, you know, close on their first home or to, you know, have a refinance or something like that. So that's where my, my kind of passion for that came into play. Love that. That's phenomenal. And did you maintain, um, I guess the word I would add, the word I would use is uh, responsibility for a large geography or by changing to U.S. Bank and the role that you were in, were you more focused now? Um, I think it's been always a little bit of both. So, you know, because I was based still in Wisconsin, um, you know, U.S. Bank is not. Wait, wait, no, you're kidding me. You're still in Wisconsin. I mean, I, in Wisconsin. people are like you can actually be in Wisconsin. Right. And you can, you can live and work in Wisconsin, people all over the world. I want them to know that you can live and work. Beautiful place. It is. You'll have to pry my, my Wisconsin license out of my hand someday. Um, <laughs> you have a yeah. tattoo. Yeah, do, do you have, okay, I'm just curious. Yeah. yeah. So I, um, I was still based in Wisconsin, you know, again, a national-based company. I think that's what a lot of appraisers kind of miss when they're looking for a path is just because you're licensed in one state does not mean that you have to just be utilizing your professional knowledge base in just that state. Um, but again, you know, a lot more local because there's a lot of branches to that bank. And so a lot of direct lending, a lot of local. And there is where I met a lot of really local Wisconsin appraisers. A lot of peers oh. that I have been able to maintain relationships with that had been longstanding in the industry, but also fresh and up and coming at the time. So now we've kind of grown into the industry together and have created these relationships. And so I smile when they come up on, on my panel because I, you know, you can see somebody's name who you may have worked with 20 years ago. Um, mm-hmm. So it's really great. It's, it's a great way to grow. But again, still national, still national ability to review and to consult and to discuss with appraisers across the nation on what they're doing and how to work the cost approach and how to, you know, do, you know, 1025s and 1007s and all that all that jazz. So it was, it was a really good experience there. And then given your role in the, in the repurchase side of things, now you're at us bank. You know, one of the interesting things is obviously you're, you fully expressed your natural desire and ability to learn and grow, but how do you continue to advance? I mean, that's one of those interesting challenges. I mean, you're moving into different roles. It sounds like you're continue to be surrounded by talented people and uh, helpful people. Uh, right. Was that all it was or was there more? Because, you know, you you have a whole different perspective than like 95, 97% of, you know, people in and around the industry. Yeah, it definitely did turn into more. I feel that at that stage in my career, I started taking on a lot more from a training perspective, a lot more of kind of that leadership ability to be able to kind of communicate and guide and and show people how to navigate the reviews, how to make sure that they're staying on top of their education. That's really where I started turning kind of a leap towards leadership more so than just kind of 
navigating my own path because at that point I'd always been in training. I had always done things like that, but a lot of it was really transitioning more towards when can I move towards management and, and what type of position I would be looking for. Um, because at that point I started thinking, you know, I want to make an impact on this industry. And the way to do that is really to be able to communicate and to be a leader in my perspective was such a, a positive goal for me. And that's where that really began. Well, that makes a, that makes a ton of sense. I mean, cause last time I checked, uh, I don't think there's any courses that like, Hey, go be a, a reviewer. No, nope. um, you know, go be, I mean, there is a review class. I shouldn't say that, but like, go be like a, a regional reviewer or, you know, chief reviewer. Like that's, that's not exactly something you just go take a course for. There's a lot of hands-on learning. No, there really isn't. And I think that part of that too is just as you start to move in this industry a little bit further and a little bit further and you start to create these relationships and, you know, deciding almost that you want to go towards more of a management or a leadership position. And that's something that people have to do very mindfully. You know, not everyone that is in the appraisal or valuation field wants to be a leader, um, which is absolutely fine. You know, they, 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 we, you know, not everybody wants to do that. And that's perfect. But um, that was just a very mindful decision for me that as I started to grow through this industry and take on more knowledge base, I knew that eventually I would want to be in a position where I could be really effective in how I can assist in growing this industry and, and be a voice for people who maybe either can't be or are nervous to be or, you know, are just coming up and they need help just getting navigating through it. I'm always, my heart is filled up when I hear peers share that type of approach. Uh, I would love to see that that is a ripple effect and, and just yeah. is infectious to everyone because uh, it really is a, in, in my perspective, it's a glass half full as opposed to a glass half empty. Right. And I routinely look to the accounting profession. Um, I'm always impressed and amazed that they have, I think the numbers like 2 million plus like mm -hmm. accountants and CPAs and what have you. And they continue to find more ways to be of value to businesses. Right. Um, and therefore there's a growing demand ongoingly for that. And in appraisal and in accounting kind of had a similar like point where they were about the same size and well, in this case, you know, one of the siblings has just grown a lot bigger than the other. Russell. Right, right. And that's part of what I look towards, you know, kind of in the future. And I know we'll talk about that a little bit later is, you know, growing this profession. And I'm a firm believer in the training profession. I'm a firm believer in appraisers taking on trainees. And because of the way I started and really just being kind of a boots on the ground inspector, um, I'm a really big believer in the modernization. And I think that, you know, there are a lot of, you know, differing perspectives on that, but it can really start someone out who is just really interested in kind of just understanding what appraisers do. And maybe they're not sure if they want to be an appraiser. So they come on as a property data collector and they get some great, great training and it's going to spin. It's going to keep growing. And as long as we are, encouraging and creating opportunity you know we're looking at the next generation of of these podcasts and of the people standing up at the expos and making these speeches because otherwise we're phasing ourselves out and that's exactly what we don't want to do so it sounds like you didn't stay at u.s bank i, I didn't know if by chance you became the uh you know the the what do they call it the uh, grand poobah or whatever the proper terminology is uh to oversee like all of it but here you are in that role 
And what, what were some of the challenges that you experienced? I think that's another thing and from a, a, a review perspective, especially a senior review perspective, that you know, we're in one sense, people in the valuation profession, we're all peers. We're just, we're different segments of the process contributing to the end result. What can you share that a lot of people may not have awareness of? Yeah, I think so. I didn't stay that long. I think I was at US Bank for about three years also. Um, I think that sometimes the hurdles that you go through are really not understanding what other people are doing on their own path. So when you come into an industry or you come into a specific company, I'm a big believer in visibility on communication. Because if your team knows what you're doing and what your purpose and your goal is, they're going to be on that ride with you. But some of the challenges that I've had are not being exposed to that general purpose. So, you know, I think that that would be the biggest hurdle that I have. And I've learned over time that you have to ask. You have to go out and you have to ask and you have to say, what is our goal here? Because without it, you're in the dark and you start to feel like you're on an island and and that's never good. I also think that as the industry changes, there are a lot of differing attitudes that can come into differing position shifts. So, you know, some appraisers give a lot of pushback to change and that can really affect the way that anybody does their job in this industry. And, you know, I think that that's part of what I navigated is that you have to learn to adjust. You have to learn to pivot. Um, obviously, we were all thrown a loop during COVID. So that changed my trajectory quite a bit. Um, it put me towards kind of leaving CoreLogic and going to the company I was at before here at NAN. Um, and again, working remote. So that was my first case that really full-time remote work, working for a company out of Buffalo doing the bifurcated and hybrid, you know, coming out of COVID. So that was a huge challenge. I think that I would just encourage anybody who's on this path to pivot and just keep pivoting. Um, You know, it's never going to just be easy. And this is a fast pace industry. (laughs) If you don't keep moving, it will move right around you and right past you. (laughs) That's, uh, it's interesting how it, it, it both seems to not move much at all, and yet it's moving so quickly. Right. It depends on what position you're in. I, it, it, yeah. I mean, some days I feel like I'm running a marathon all day long, which is great. Yes. Like I, said, I love it. I love that pace. I love this industry. But at some times you think we haven't made any any big moves um, in a while in the industry as a whole. But I, we're seeing that change, and that's really encouraging. No, that's that's phenomenal. And and for you again, you know, I, I appreciate that desire to learn and takes you to different uh, opportunities, different places. How did you come across your opportunity with CoreLogic? And what an interesting change of responsibilities from what you had been doing at US Bank. Yeah, so my job at CoreLogic was again just uh, a posting that had come up. Um, I had taken a little bit of a break to. Okay. to- the mom thing for about a year. That's extremely important. You probably should take more. Um, yes. it's, it's not something that a lot of people will throw out there um, as a gap in the resume, but I probably do it. You know, it is, it is what I what I am. Um, you know, during that time, I did the mom thing, but I also, you know, did a lot of consulting and I stuck, stuck with it. And so, it's you know, it's part of being an appraiser that you have that ability to kind of create your own you know, company in itself that a lot of the goal with appraisal is independent. 
And that's why a lot of appraisers love that. So, um, but I started looking through job boards because I'm a valuation addict. Um, <laughs> I can't stay idle for long. And I came across uh, the posting for CoreLogic. I had experience with Marshall and Swift from working years ago. And um, it just spoke to me. I thought this to me sounds so interesting and a total different side of it, you know, developing the cost, learning where the cost comes from. You know, anybody can look at the book and say, okay, I see the numbers reported there, but where did, who came up with that? And to me, that was so intriguing that it was like, I want this job. I want to know who came up with those numbers and I want to be that person who came up with those. <laughs> so it was almost like I challenged myself to, to take that position. Um, but yeah, I, I interviewed for that position. I was on a family vacation and I did a phone interview and, you know, we just, hit it off and I, I spent a, a little over a year there um, before COVID and it was great. I, I met a lot of great people, got to work for a company that corners the market on quite a bit of stuff um, and, and just learn how they operate. It was really knowledge-based for me. Phenomenal. And was your role uh, with um, CoreLogic, are you, you know, like the Brown book, the residential cost handbook did exist. Is it that you are, um, are, are you like repositioning that? Like w what's the role that you actually had when you went to CoreLogic? Cause Mar they'd already bought Marshall, Marshall and Swift, Marshall Valuation Services. Um, so how were you engaging with that uh, body of knowledge? So at the time they were consolidating their offices and they had some folks that were moving on or retiring. Um, so I took over as a senior um, analyst there doing basically preparing the brown book so working with the cost data collectors to identify the trends making sure that all the numbers are reported accurately um, working a lot in development there so that was like a one-year course in how to look at people <laughs> it was something i had never i had never even been like i'm an appraiser i don't like i wanted to be an english teacher how did i end up here um but it definitely so i would create the book every month, um, verifying the data in the book, reprinting all the pages, design, helping design the pages. Um, it was really, really interesting. But at the same time, also working on a lot larger projects um, by taking that data and adapting it so that, um, you know, mass appraisals could happen across the country. So, you know, different municipalities working on their software and taking the data that's in there and being able to adapt it for assessment. Um, which was really interesting. And, and that was a big part of what I did day to day outside of the actual printing of the book. And you've touched on something that we have a, I believe we have a soft confirmation uh, that they'll be in season two with us, might be in season three, but you touched on uh, mass valuation, if you will, mass assessment. Yeah. Maybe share just a little bit for those that uh, maybe are not in the profession or have never been exposed to it. Like, what is that all about? And yeah. why is that information so important? It really is. So mass appraisal in the sense that I've experienced it, it really comes down to, and I compare it a lot to when your city or municipality or village or whatever that you live in goes through and does an assessment of all of their properties across the entire area. And they're sending you out, let's say your, your home was assessed at XYZ. They're doing that on a mass appraisal perspective. 
And in addition to that, they're also massacring all of the commercial property. They're, you know, they're doing all the valuation on any property that they own. So it could be parks and rec. It could be all of the public work. So there has to be some sort of um, technology base in there that can be utilized. Otherwise, it's incredibly manual. Um, but in a mass appraisal, it can run the numbers manually or through these systems, through technologies that can produce numbers for these municipalities and do a larger, all-encompassing database for them so that we're not sending out an appraiser to every single property in an entire city. That is uh, fascinating and extremely valuable. It just it it highlights, uh, and I appreciate you uh, touching on that and providing some explanation to it, that there are so many roles and responsibilities for people that understand the valuation process. Yeah. And I know many people, because you know everybody just kind of throws around like, well, they're you know based on this website that's a government website that has all these licenses associated with it, there's X number of people. I'm like. Yeah, but those are people like real narrowly defined in real estate appraisal. But when you just take a step back and, and talk about real estate valuation, like the industry's huge and there's so many different roles and responsibilities. Um, and we haven't even gotten to all of yours yet. That right. I mean, you're a wonderful example of how many different places someone can connect and learn right. and grow along right. the way. I agree. I think that, you know, we can't loophole ourselves into one thing. And one of the things that never scared me about a job posting is the, you know, what is your experience level? What is your license level? You know, things like that. If you have a goal and you have the knowledge base, apply for that position and prove yourself, you know, be the person in the room that can have the conversation and share your expertise. Because a lot of the job postings can just say, oh, we're looking for seven to 10 years, but maybe you knocked out that experience level in three doing something totally different. And it could benefit that company wildly. Um, so I, I've never let that deter me from ever going for something that I thought would fit me. Um, and I've never really been turned away from something that I've gone for that I thought would fit me. Because I think when you go into it knowing I have what it takes to do this job, you know, that's, that's what you, you kind of want to look for. But you're right. This industry is huge. I mean, there are, you could be a trainer. You could go in and train property data collectors. You can, you know, take out a fee shop of your own. There you can work in review, you can work in management. If, I mean, there are thousands of positions outside of just being an independent appraiser in the state that you live in. So, you know, growth is great. I completely agree. I think it's, it, it, it's much more interesting when you're, uh, when you're, when you're taking it on versus just kind of being like, Oh, it's happening to me. Yeah. So speak, speaking of taking it on versus happening to you. So you were there for, I think, I think you said about a year or so. And then, you know, you take on some new responsibilities. What comes next? Yeah, so COVID hit. And again, we're kind of all stuck in this position of what do we do next? Um, this is where I, I really needed to move into a remote position as much as I possibly could. Um, because, you know, offices shut down and we weren't given the option really. And, you know, with schools and everything like that. Um, so I had seen uh, a posting for a, a position through Mueller for a director of a, you know, kind of an alter alternative valuation position, you know, leading their quality control. And I thought this, this is me. I'm, I'm very, it could quality control is my, my thing. Um, 
So I, I went for that. I interviewed for that position and knew immediately speaking with uh, my former boss there that um, it was going to be a great fit. And I just hit the ground running there August of 2020, you know, in the heart of COVID. Wow. From home. And we just were really focused on hybrid and bifurcated and working with data inspectors that were across the nation to kind of get these reports into the appraiser's hands. And it's opened up that whole other side of the industry to me that um, is really kind of on the forefront with this modernization. So from that standpoint, a lot of people uh, probably are not familiar with the firm that you went to work for uh, during COVID. So kudos to you for stepping up and finding a great opportunity during that. What uh, What's their position in the marketplace? So the company that I worked for was called Mueller Services or Mueller Reports. Uh, they're often referred to. And so they were primarily established as an insurance company. Um, they do insurance inspections nationally. They have a yes. very large base of inspectors across the nation that were doing um, these insurance inspections. And they do it very well. They still do. Um, so their position is that. But breaking into the valuation space at the time and kind of looking for valuation professionals to join them kind of on that journey, um, it really gave me the opportunity to jump in and help. So utilizing some of that same workforce, training those inspectors that were really accustomed to the insurance side of it to pivot over to learning the residential. So kind of looking at how do we train them? What are the differences? How do we maintain training and coaching? Um, different form development was really big there, which I was really excited to be a part of. Um, you know, how do we develop proprietary form? How do we get into this hybrid space? And, you know, what do we do to satisfy the lender needs was really important for us there. Um, a lot of growth. I eventually grew into the position of chief quality officer there, um, took on a pretty large team reviewing files and kind of monitoring the quality and again, working with forms and development. So it was great. It was, it was really great. So here you had an opportunity uh, to work. And this is one of those, it's a, it's a great concept. It's, it's been around for decades upon decades. Uh, Clayton Christensen made it famous in a book called Crossing the Chasm that goes back to like pre-Y2K kind of time frame, where it's things seem like they're so revolutionary. But in many cases, they actually are growing. They've sprouted and they're growing in another industry. And once they grow to a certain size or critical mass, because of what they've accomplished, there's application in related or unrelated industries that in an unrelated industry, it shows up as total disruption. And, and it may or may not be, but it's well proven in another space. Right, right. I love the word disruption. Um, <laughs> as soon as you send it in meeting file, um, that's always one of the words that I think of. In this industry. I mean, that's, that's the goal. We want to create industry disruption. Um, and I agree. I think that there are established roles that are doing things that parallel this industry that if they could intersect, could really change the face of the way that we do things. And I think that's what's happening. You know, we're moving towards, um, that modernization and the alt val and, you know, things that are a little bit more alternative options. And, you know, I saw it in action for a good two years there and it worked. You know, these valuations were were spot on. You know, I can't say every single one because we all have a bad day. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, at the end of the day, we're signing off on these reports that lenders were funding that and the appraisers were starting to get excited about it. Um, you know, there's a lot of hesitancy to change, but 
you know, once you start doing them and you see the quality of work that the property data collector might have, it, it definitely has an impact. And you also have to know who's training that property data collector. Because, you know, it's, it's not a, a big piece of it. And then in, in the role that you had, you mentioned about coming in with, um, from evaluation services standpoint, and also like your love of kind of, you know, QA and QC, quality assurance, mm-hmm. quality control. What are the type of activities that you're responsible for? Because that's a role that very few people were ever actually assigned to, and they don't even understand that it exists. And then what do you do? Yeah, that's a good question. So a lot of uh, monitoring of the team's work, workflow productivity, um, running kind of a major team, again, with the form development, um, coaching to the appraisers at that point on repeat kind of offender items. Um, putting out, you know, process changes, meeting with a lot of the lenders on, you know, their quality needs and letters of engagement and overlays. Um, it really became kind of an all-encompassing quality position in that I kind of oversaw their, what they called their quality one, where all of the property inspection reports would come in, and then their quality two, where their re- reports would come back from the appraiser, and we're looking at, you know, full quality control of that report to make sure that it's meeting the needs of our lenders. Um, so it really was all encompassing. And as was, have you, um, in your experience in that role, is it, is it, it's always sounds like it's much more hands-on other people we've had the privilege of talking to in, in the uh, podcast kind of move into the policy role and, and that mm-hmm. piece. I, I don't hear you mentioning any of that. I hear you like, you like people, you like communication. Right, right. I did a lot of the quality policy, but there at Mueller, they have a chief valuation officer. So he handled all of the regulatory and compliance items. Um, Not that I wasn't involved in a lot of the audit and things like that, but I like to get my hands dirty. I, (laughs) (laughs) I sure my team will laugh if they listen to this because I'm like in the pipeline with them all the time. I'm like, where, where do you need me? I always say, like, where do you guys need me? And they'll be like, what are you talking about? <laughs> I, I'll be seeing files at midnight sometimes when my kids go to bed because it's just... Wait, 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 wait. You mean you mean there's actually appraisal work that happens, like, in that p.m. shift in the a.m. time slot? Is that what you're talking about? Uh, yeah, it's kind of a 24-hour business, at least it is for me. I mean, I, I can't speak for everybody else, but my, my time, there is no punch out. Um especially when you kind of love it as much as I do. But um, I've always been a people person. And I, I really, I like being in there with my team. I like making sure that we're moving forward. Um, I like helping just in general. So I, I think that that's where I thrive. Again, love it. I'm so grateful that there's people out there like you that that have that approach. And how does that ultimately uh, lead you into your, your uh, next opportunities? Yeah, so... I have been with Nan about a year now. Again, okay. I on, um, originally as director of alternative valuations here, also um, about three months into my my career here at Nan, I was brought in as the chief appraiser. So, congratulations! I, really, thank you. I hit the ground running here, and I think Joni would echo this. Um, Joni, obviously our CEO here at Nan, would echo this that she can read me like a book. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I right away went into process improvement. So I started oh, looking at all of these different departments that kind of fell under the chief appraiser role. And I was like, well, this might not work. And I don't think this works. And I think this is great. And 
really just started structuring. And I think like you just go and run with it. <laughs> That's wonderful um, that you actually worked for an, an entrepreneur and owner who understands the value of higher talented people, hire people better than yourself and get out of the way. Yeah, she, she's been a really great mentor for me. Um, you know, I think it might be the first time that someone really truly has looked at me and said, practice your pause, Stacey, because I am so rapid. Um, she'll probably laugh at that. The tolerance. I <laughs> love that. Um, I'm so, I work so quickly and I am so passionate about everything that falls under my wheelhouse that sometimes I just like, I run no, slow down. You've got this. Like it is what it is. But um, it's been a great, great experience here. Being at Nan has been one of probably the, the best experiences in my my career so far. And um, I hope to be here for a long time. From a standpoint of the, um, and I know you've had some a couple small um, opportunities along the way, but is Nan, if if I understand correctly, probably the smallest uh, large company you've worked for in your career? Yeah, I think actually I've never really thought about that, but I would say that from a perspective of the companies that I've worked at before, probably the smallest workforce behind it. Yes. But I think that we have such a good structure that it doesn't feel that way in a sense. Oh, so that it actually caught me off guard a little bit when you said that because I had to think about it because on a day to day basis, the team here is crushing it. They just are, I mean, everybody's so effective in their role that it may not be a lot of headcount, but every single person on this team is maximizing their ability all the time. I mean, I always say one of the things I like to repeat is I could never do this alone. This team is a powerhouse. So it's really been a joy to watch everybody kind of fall into their own little niche and need to be a lot that's amazing. And then for those that don't know Nan, because why would you necessarily, depending on what part right. of the country you're in, or the type of valuation work you do, whether you're not in residential, or you're not in lending, or you're in commercial, or you're in mass appraisal, or like you're in forestry, like whatever it might be, you're in farm and agriculture. Uh, where does Nan sit in the world of real estate valuation? So NAN is a national appraisal uh, management company in AMC, and we have just about 14,000 appraisers on our panel uh, covering oh, okay. every state, uh, every county. We are all over the place. Um, traditionally, NAN has come on as a conventional kind of process, which um, I think is still strong and steady. We do a lot of conventional work, a lot of stuff for Fannie and Freddie. Um, a lot of our major lenders are conventional loan for the GSEs. Um, but we're also in the commercial space. So, you know, anyone okay. the expansion in the commercial, we're doing that. We're also doing a lot of the alternative valuation, which I had originally come on for. So a lot of the BPOs, um, ABMs, items like that, and really getting into um, fixed flips, private lending. Um, the hybrid is really coming around, which is really exciting for me. Um, so we're really excited to start kind of piloting through and going with that stuff. Um, so we're really covering pretty much any product that you could name that you'd be looking for. Um, Nana is working with, we have a really great specialty team here who covers a lot of our more nuanced reviews and renovation loans. Um, you know, a lot of FHA. So, I mean, you name it, we do it. Yes. 
No, that's, I mean, and that's, that's a broad, uh, as you would say, if that was, if each thing you mentioned was say an automobile, that's a large garage to have a lot of different automobiles in, so to speak, to (laughs) to provide that perspective. Our product list is very lengthy. uh, Which is not a bad thing to be of service uh, to clients in a large way. Um, For you, what's most uh, rewarding about your role in as, you know, chief real estate appraiser at NAN? I am really, I mean, I know we've kind of talked about this a little bit, but um, I have been always achieving the knowledge base behind everything. So this, this role for me encounters a lot of training, a lot of training and a lot of visibility. Um, I always joke that Joni likes to push me out of my comfort zone. Um, <laughs> but I think that that's part of it is that I have the knowledge to give here. And I think that the team here is always willing to learn. And so what I'm getting out of this role right now is just being able to expand out our knowledge base, be able to help expand out our product offerings, um, work to improve the way that our panel is kind of managed and how we are really facing this industry together. I think that's really important to me. Um, You know, I really believe in diversification of this industry and inclusion and making sure that my team is heard and that they feel involved. Um, and that as we grow this industry, we are diversifying, you know, I mean, we, we need to hear other voices. And so I think I'm really valuing that this time as chief appraiser is giving me that opportunity to have a seat at the table and have those conversations that I had not had before um, that are so, so important to where we're going. Well, I definitely appreciate that. So when you then take, uh, take stock of where you're at, I mean, you probably have like, you know, most people have a 40 or 50 year career. You've got like most of those years left, uh, you know, being so, so long in the industry. <laughs> of course, of course. Every day. <laughs> oh, this is great. Um, and, and you look ahead over the next three to five years. Um, what do you see? Like what inspires you? Does anything concern you? What like, like, like gets you motivated out of bed or has you stay up the extra hours? Um, obviously, because it's, it's very clear in talking to you that you love what you do. And that you're clear on what your goal is and there's great alignment. And that's probably a future uh, podcast because, again, the name of this podcast is Parusing's The Power of Values. And we'll have another time to talk a lot more about that additional side of values because it's a bit of a double entendre. But for you in that role, love to hear what looks like for you over the next three to five years or in the industry. Yeah, um, that's a really great question. And I think that Part of what I am hoping for in my career and in the industry, again, is the diversification. I think that one of the passion projects that I would like to see is just the expansion and training. Um, you know, I'm really a big believer in expanding education and making sure that people are have not just the willingness, but the availability to come into this industry and that I can be a resource for them as we continue to adapt and change and I'm excited to see how the UAB changes are going to be affecting us. And I think that, you know, we have to be open to change. And, you know, just like every other profession, you know, everybody is continuing to grow. Every profession continues their education. We have to do the same. We have to kind of stop getting in this rut of it's always been in this way. And I'd like to see in the next three to five years, people start to kind of come out of the shadows and say, hey, I have experience in the XYZ. I just have never spoken up before. I think there's been kind of an underlying tone that 
you know, a lot of appraisers kind of keep to themselves. And I would like to see that go away. Um, I want my panel to talk to me and I always joke they have my cell phone number. So, um, mm-hmm. you know, I get calls all the time. Um, but another thing is, you know, I have conversations with my panel and I do hear a lot of our panel expressing that they, they don't feel comfortable communicating some of the struggles that they're having in this industry, especially with the diversity and assignment basis and markets that they're in. And, you know, I will say always, like, then you bring it to me and I will bring it forward because if they, if they're not able to, I will. Um, so I would like to see more of that is that we can start having open dialogue about, you know, changes and attitudes and mentalities of this profession. Um, and hopefully our team here at NAND continues to grow and I can help them all specialize in different little niches and, and we can dominate. <laughs> I, I think that's fantastic. I think uh, Joni has really built an impressive firm that is, is differentiated in the marketplace and we'll have another opportunity to really talk about that. But also, um, you know, what a great alignment between your personal interest and your desire to learn and grow and, and share and not just uh, absorb and, and, and hold it. And at the same time, you also mentioned because you guys have diversified into a, a whole suite of offerings to clients, um, any insight you can share around the commercial work that you do and or the, you know, the we'll call it the, I call it NBL, non-bank lending, because that's a lot of the space and work that I've had over the years. Yeah. Um, outlook on that because you know GSEs are a huge part of one piece of lending, but there's so much more valuation assignments out there than the just uh, a residential loan. Right. I think that the commercial and the the non-bank lending or the private lending is on the right, um, especially the private lending for us. I mean, we do a lot of the commercial. I think that that is really important for our certified general panel right now is that we also are getting that work. Um, but really, we're seeing a huge increase in that private lending because there are differing overlays to their scope of work and what's exciting there is there's a little bit more of a flexibility in getting the valuation that you need and um i always say anything is appraisable so you know i am a big believer in um like the fix and flip and the rehab and those are like if i could look at those all day long i'd be they're fun and fascinating. I know. I know. I love a good rehab budget and watching a home go from one thing to the next. And you look that's at our country. So, Stacey, that's so beautifully geeky. I mean, I just have to say it. You know, for, well, somebody else, like a spouse, would be like, oh, please beat me with a stick. Don't talk about that one more time. You're like, oh, my gosh. Look, like, this was actually a good rehab budget. Like, it's not just a bogus one. You know, like, they're really going to do this. And look, there's a really healthy equity margin they're going to build by doing the work. Like, it's. Yeah. It's sexy. It's totally it, sexy. It is. I'm 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 a valuation nerd. You called me on it. Uh, <laughs> that's my purpose. I say that's why I'm staying up. No, I I just I really feel like that is a space to be involved in right now. Like start having those conversations and you know, anyone interested in the investment side of valuation, it's such a growth area. So yes. any appraiser have that interest in le- in the fix and flips and the rehab budgets. And if they're as nerdy as I am and want to sit down and, <laughs> and start looking at before and after for as is, as repaired value, there is such a space because it's so intriguing. And there's portfolios of these properties. I mean, a lot of investors have 10, 20, 30 properties 
and they want to rehab all at once. And that's a huge book of business for our preacher. I think it's kind of a, a you know, pocket thing that a lot of preachers could get into and they can really create a, a market there for themselves. Couldn't agree with you more. So that's uh, that's how I actually bought uh, my first investment property was having seen somebody else's numbers. I'm like, how much did you make? <laughs> I was like, wait a minute, how many months were you in there? And uh, I, I won't go detail because it's all about you, not about me. But it was it was that little segment. I'm like, you made that amount of money in that short of time. I'm like, I think I could do this. And next thing you know, I, I bought a property on that block. Um, that's you know, it's amazing because I was like, who better to invest in, than real estate appraisers? They have all the information they have all the data like they're steeped in this space they should be the most most like wickedly successful if they choose to be wickedly successful uh, net worth builders um either through passive or active work in that area because they have all the great information or access For to sure. it and the ability to analyze it wow. sure. i mean it's just a built-in retirement plan <laughs> amen to that i what's um, more on that later it's not about me it's about you I, speaking right. of which so do, do you invest um, so we do, um, my, now you're really my friend to see that's <laughs> not, that's when you move from like, Hey, that's a good, that's like, like okay for like, now you're a good friend. Like, I I, yeah. My husband, um, owns a commercial real estate firm and oh, a property okay. manage, management company, which I, um, so I say I partner in, but he does all the work. Um, but you know, part of that is, you know, the investment into apartment complexes and, and multiplying the doors across the state totally. and creating, you know, you know, expanding your portfolio. So um, that's definitely part of the conversations we have. So when I'm talking about rehab budgets, he is right there with me. So that's always positive. Um, but yeah, we, we invest in that. You know, we're, we're looking at that type of growth, you know, for the, yes. for the rest of our kind of careers, like I said. Long-term retirement goals. <laughs> I, uh, I, I, I'm going to date myself and throw it out there. There was back in the day, there was a, there was a guy with one of the early infomercials. The first program I bought was Carlton sheets, no money down. And, um, I loved it. It was all about, you know, you could get rich quick if you want to, but that wasn't the point. It was about get rich slow, you know, just yeah. property ain't going unless you burn it down. Like property's not going away. People need a place to live and you take care of people. They're going to take care of you. It's a good relationship. Um, love, love, love uh, owning investment property. And then our government here in the United States gives you an extra incentive in the form of uh, depreciation and tax benefits. And then there's a little right. box on your uh, tax filing form. You get the check and suddenly all kinds of stuff opens up. But that's a little bit beyond this discussion. Right. Ooh, we would have to have a whole other conversation about investment properties and oh, you know, very much so. tax exchanges and stuff like that. But I think you're right, though. And then statement that I picked up in that is like, you take care of people, they take care of you. And, you know, when you get into this business, no matter what you do, that's exactly what it is. I mean, create the relationship and you're going to grow not just out of wealth, but, you know, it's just creating this whole mindset change. No, I completely agree. Well, Stacey, this has flown by. I can't even believe we well eclipsed the one hour mark. So for those of you still with us, hope you uh, had some extra time to be getting some work done or uh, maybe drive into one of those long-standing appointments. This yeah. has been fascinating and fun and information-packed. And Stacey, I just want to uh, say thank you so much. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate you. I appreciate your time and giving me this opportunity to, to chat about my journey. And it's always a pleasure. Well, I, I really appreciate it, Stacey, because uh, you know the whole point of the podcast is to provide an opportunity to both uh, inform 
and inspire those that are already in the industry to what else is possible. But there are so many people, a, a number of us, not necessarily you, but me and others, that come into this industry from another place, from another industry, from another role, another responsibility. And hopefully by hearing the myriad of experiences that you've had, it may be not kind of ding, ding, ding. Maybe this is for you uh, as you're listening to this. I'm like, wow, there really are a lot of opportunities. It's so much more interesting. It's not near as boring as my you know, rel- relative or somebody <laughs> else talked about. Like, there, it's like Stacy talked about sexiness and appraisal. Like, right. Oh, yeah, didn't, <laughs> right. didn't know that existed. Right. Um, so we really appreciate that. And, and that's our goal. So Please uh, continue to share this uh, every week. It's just so inspiring and um, engaging to receive uh, comments and inquiries as well as um, uh, just appreciation for, you know, really learned a lot. And, and, you know, while I never met that person, it it gives me a sense of what's what's out there, what's possible and maybe what's next. So, Stacey, I really do believe you contributed to that. And again, thank you so much. Thank you. Wonderful. Well, as we wrap up, uh, we are excited for uh, our next guest, which we'll be sharing just as soon as we connect and continue to share this. Of course, it's on Spotify and where you catch your listening pleasure. Uh, don't be stingy, as you heard Stacy share. Share it out for others. And with that, until next time, thank you so much. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Pavru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose. We hope you enjoyed learning from the amazing life paths and achievements of our guests. Don't forget to like us on LinkedIn and other podcast channels to hear more from appraisers and valuers regarding their life and their work. If you have any suggestions or questions for future episodes, we'd love to hear from you. Just send us a message on LinkedIn and we'll be sure to get back to you. Thanks again for listening. And until we're together again for the next session of Paru Zings, Appraisers on Purpose, create the change that you seek. 